This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Jonah chapter 2, we're going to read this and then we're going to run through uh, just a a couple of points and then I'll get out of your way. Uh, But I I, I want us to stand in, in, in respect to God's word and remember that this is his word. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to you, Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank. Inside the earth beneath the barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols... Turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I added that sound effect, just that wasn't in the text. (laughs) I got a question for you before we uh, dive into this text. I, 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 want, I want you to, um, to just answer, is there anyone our God should not save, rescue, or deliver? Now, I know that, that question seems to have a right answer, and if you were taking a test, you just want to give the right answer. You don't want to give an answer that is true to you. So now I'm going to flip it. Not, not what is the right answer. I want you to just be for real, for real. I'm asking you, what, 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 just what about, before you answer, for real, for real, not what is God say, but, but what's for real, for real, is what about that crazy ex Husband, wife, who like took you for everything and left you abandoned and is like just crazy. Just crazy. I mean, and they get favor and grace. No, no, what about that bully who just makes it their effort to just kind of make and humiliate you and point you out and, 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 and rub your face and everything and make sure that you just, you know, like, oh, no, or what about that, you know, what about that one that owes you some money and it would really help if they paid you back? And you can't even go to bed at night without cursing their name. Because if they could just pay you back. And God, I, I'm fine if you want to do something in them. But can I get my money first? I, I, need, I need that money. Hey, what about that racist who's obviously racist? You know, the one that, that is racist but says, I'm not racist. 
you know, that one who just as long as they say I'm not racist, they're not racist. You know that one? What, what about that country, that country across the ocean? What about that one that bombed us and hurt our people and, 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 and insulted the, our great prideful nation? What about that one? What about that nation across the sea that we don't ever have to look at, but just, you know, yes, God, you can move in them over there, but don't let them come over here. What about that political party? Yeah, that one, the other one. Whatever one yours is not, the other one. Oh, you know the one, the one that you say promotes hate, violence, division, greed, murder. They take advantage of the poor. They're constantly taking life. They're raising taxes. You know that one. The other one, whatever you are, whatever you're saying, which one are you? I'm, I'm talking about both y'all. Both of y'all talk about both y'all. What about y'all? All of you, the other one. There's no way God could save one of them. Not with those beliefs. Not with that political view. What about those who dismember people, cut off their arms and legs and make them shake your hand while they're watching you die? What about the ones who skin people and hang their, their skin on sticks? What about the ones that burn kids alive and destroy cities and then paint murals, graphic images, so everybody can see all of their defeats and destroying people? How about the ones that humiliate those who are in mourning while they're watching their people die and they're humiliating them while they're grieving? How about the Nineveh? We all question, how could Jonah not want them to repent? I'm asking you, is there anyone, you, is there anyone that God should not, in your opinion, save, rescue, or deliver? And pour out his favor. Oh, before you answer, how about that party? How about the color of skin? How about the nation they come from? How about them lawbreakers who never follow the rules? How about the abusers? How about them? How about them? Do they deserve it too, God? And then he goes, yeah, and then you're going to them, and you're going to be the one who's going to call them to me. Mm. What this question does is puts us in a precarious place because we have so neatly defined our terms that we have, we have alienated ourselves from God. We have made sin so neatly doing wrong things. We have said, here's what sin is. Sin is doing what is wrong. Now let me ask you a question. Is sin eating fruit? You're like, no, actually... Sin is that I don't eat fruit and I need to eat more, right? <laughs> Salad too. What are you trying to get at, Pastor? The original sin was someone eating fruit. Is sin doing wrong things? Is sin relegated to the Ninevites? Or is sin far greater than just doing bad things? I think many of us spend our lives trying not to do bad things because we think God will be so proud if we just do good, bad. We don't do bad. 
God, I know I'm not listening to you. I know I'm not following you. I know I'm not serving you. I know I'm not doing anything you're telling me to do, but I haven't done anything bad. That is the extent of American Christianity. We have made our relationship with God so rooted in, did we do bad things? Did I look at this? Did I say something wrong? Did I curse too much? Did I sleep with somebody? Did I not sleep with somebody? All these kinds of things. Whatever it is. Did I, did, I, uh, oh, did I look at those pictures? I shouldn't have looked at those pictures. That's why God hates me so much. I looked at pictures. Can we just start groups where we just stop looking at pictures? And, and, and I'm not saying any of those things of us stopping doing things is, is not helping us, but there is this deep reality of watching Jonah, who is not one of the Ninevites who is doing bad things. He is just a son who will not obey his father's commands. There is a command in Scripture that's very clear. Go, make disciples of all nations. How many of us feel like we're in sin when we're not doing what God's told us to do? Well, I don't need to make disciples. I just need to not do bad things. What about the command to go and serve others? Serve, to lay down our lives and to serve our neighbor. I don't need to serve as long as I'm not looking at pictures. What about the call to forgive someone who's, who's done wrong to you? No, no, no. I don't need to forgive as long as I'm not, you know, cheating on my wife and paying my taxes. And then there's this real clear scripture. If you can't forgive others, then your father in heaven won't forgive you. Like that, that just seems like we're just not doing what our father's telling us to do. What about the call to live in unity with your brothers and sisters? And most of the church is so divided, but we don't see unity as something that we're called to live into. It's just kind of an optional thing if everybody treats us good. There's a call to be generous, to give of our of, our, of ourselves and our resources and our time. There's a call to give of ourselves away. Most of us don't see our disobedience as sin. But hear me, your disobedience is sin. And what you're beginning to see in Jonah is that when you are committed to doing your own thing, you are walking in sin. Yeah, but my own thing is not killing people and putting their head on a pole. Yeah, but it's your own thing. Yeah, but my own thing is not uh, skinning people like the Ninevites. I mean, look at how many people they've hurt. I mean, my own thing is better than their own thing, and you're telling me to go talk to them? Like, this is totally unfair, God. Like, I'm doing good. I'm like a good child. Why would you let the prodigal come home? I've been staying here. But there's, there's, there's something that you have to see. Sin leads us down all the way to death. The wages of sin is death. And when you are on your own path, the end of that path, whether you're taking the high road or the low road, is death. It's death. 
You see, the story of Jonah for the obedient children, the story of Jonah for the obedient children seems unfair. He's a good kid. He's just not wanting to go to the Ninevites. He's not wanting to live on mission. He's not wanting to serve. He's not wanting to go and get, deliver the word that God's called him. He's not wanting to follow God. He just wants to stay kind of in his comfort zone. You see, church, we are convinced that God's greatest, <laughs> greatest attribute is that he is fair. <laughs> so we go, God, this is not fair. <laughs> this is really not fair. And I know you are a fair God. And you do all the fair things. Fairness is keeping us from the presence of God because we are convinced that what we need is fairness. And Jonah, the prophet of God, ends up far from him in the depths of the sea in a fish, swallowed up by a fish. It doesn't seem fair. What about the Ninevites? And because we are so obsessed with fairness, we look to God to go, this is not fair. Now explain to me, before I, I, need, you to, I need you to tell me, why is this fair? Look at them. There you're treating them that way, and you're treating me this way? Like I didn't even do half the stuff they've done. We are obsessed with fairness, but God does not seem in any place in Scripture to try to convince us that he is fair. In the book of Jonah, you will leave, if you're looking for fairness, you will leave with a lot of questions and very upset. But here's what God continues to declare throughout the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 2, you're going to see a, a surrendering of this. But throughout the book of Jonah, you will see God say, I'm not, it's not that I'm fair, but here's what I am. I'm sovereign. I'm sovereign over all, all of creation. I will use all of creation to accomplish my plan. I will use storms. I will use uh, 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 a rebellious people. I'll, I'll use everything. I'm Lord over all of it. I'll use fish. I'll use whatever I want. I'm Lord. And I am in control, but I'm also merciful, and I'll save whoever I want. And I'm a saving God and a merciful God and a gracious God. And I am one who is Lord over all of it. I'm, I'm Lord over the Jew. I'm Lord over the Gentile. I'm Lord over all of them. And this book leaves us in a place not being able to go God is fair, but it leaves us in a place where go, God shows a lot of grace and mercy and favor and control. So just a couple of quick notes. One would be this, as we go through this text, which I, I promise I'm going to get there now. There's a couple of things that you may have asked. Uh, was the, and the, theologians or, you know, different people like to debate these different things, and, and I've read a couple of them, and, and then I just go, uh, was the fish an actual fish? Was it a whale? Was it a real fish? Was it a figurative fish? Um, not sure. Um, Did Jonah actually die? Because he said he went all the way to death, to the place of Sheol, and then he kind of came back to life. Did he die and resurrect, and, and God resurrected him, or did he go into the belly of a fish and then get spit out 
And I'm, I'm going to tell you confidently I got this answer. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> the point is, does it matter to what I'm about to preach today? I have a confident answer for this. No, it doesn't. Because what I think the point of this text is not for us to figure out figurative, literal, and these kinds of realities, although that I think there's place and it can be helpful, I think God wants us to see something very clearly. First is this, God interacts with us through prayer. I want you to look at this text here, and, and I'm going to highlight things on the screen. The reason why Pastor Wayne and I have been intentionally doing this is because we want you to begin to interact with Scripture so that you go, oh, I can do that when I get home. What would it be like for you to start interacting with Scripture on a regular basis to where it's speaking to you and you're, you're journaling and highlighting? I think it could become a really powerful experience for us. But I want you to see kind of the process of seeing this. First of all, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Now, this is going to be important because this is going to change in just a little bit from his God. And I want you to notice that in a, in a few verses, it's going to change to my God. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. This language is actually borrowed from uh, chapter 1. When the sailor came to Jonah and said to him, why are you sleeping? We're all out there crying out to our gods. We're not getting any answers. Could you pray to your God too? And we'll just take like a machine gun approach. If we all pray, someone's got to listen. And you're down here sleeping. But he did not pray in chapter 1. Matter of fact, he didn't receive the prophetic word, and we'll talk about that. He didn't receive that prophetic word to pray. It wasn't until he was in the belly of the fish that he realized, I need to pray. Mm. Sounds like my prayer life. And here's what we see here. God interacts with us through prayer. And, and look at where he prays from. He prays from distress and he prays from a place where he is dead, in the realm of the dead, calling for help. See, often what we think is that we have to be in a good place to pray. <laughs> We think we have to know how to pray to pray. We've got to take enough classes to start praying. We've got to get our prayers right, dialed in, and then we'll have our prayer life. Now, we, if I could just take a college class, I'll get a degree in prayer, I'll start praying. And the reality is, our prayer life is not rooted in our confidence in our prayers. Our prayer life is, and, and our position in life, our prayer life is rooted in this phrase right here. And this is rooted in what First John says, that our confidence comes from a different place. Our confidence comes from the fact that our God listens to our prayers. I hope you can hear this. Because the reason we're not praying is not because we don't know how to pray. It's because we don't think he's listening to us. First John says this, you have confidence in prayer when you know he listens. I'm you, I have a few kids, and, 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 and as they grow up, they don't wait until they know how to talk to start telling me what to do. 
Am I, just my kids. But I, I have one daughter who just thought she could talk earlier than she could actually talk. And so we would sit and have full conversations where she would just be like, oh, yeah, 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 just going off. And she would use hand motions and neck rolls and the whole thing. And I'm just sitting there listening. And what kind of father would I be if I said, listen, girl, learn how to talk before you communicate with me. I'll be here in a few years. You want to know, her confidence didn't come in her ability to talk. Her confidence came in my ability to listen. The reason why we don't pray is not because we don't have a, 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 enough of an understanding. It's because we have to get to the spot where we think we got to get our stuff together, get it all under control, and we were the ones who got ourselves into this mess anyways, and so this stress is our mess, so i got to take care of it, and why should I go to God when this is my mess, and i got to get my stuff together, and then when I come, he'll be really proud of me. But it is not from his position that he prays because he is now in the pit, and in the pit he realizes if it's not because of who I am, it's got to be because of who he is. Stop looking for confidence in yourself in your prayers. Prayers can come in groanings. Prayers can come in babblings. Prayers can come in crying. Prayers can come in writing. Prayers can come in singing. Prayers can come in poetry. Prayers can come in so many different forms and methods. And all of it... Our Father hears. He hears it. How many of us have refused to pray? Refused to pray. And we come up with every reason, but the reality is we know if we go to Him in prayer, He's going to say something. And more than anything, we just don't want to hear it. The other thing we see in this text and in his prayer and in his poem and in his song, whatever you want to call it, God sovereignly uses storms to get us to look towards him. Do you know that God is the God of all creation? He created all things. And Jonah says this in a way that you may think is unfair, but he's going, you hurled me into the depths. You put me into the heart of the sea. All the currents were swirling about you. You brought this storm on. You made this happen. You used the waves and the breakers and they swept over me. And this is what I said. I didn't say, thank you, Lord. I said, you banished me from your sight. God uses the storm to get something. And, and I want you to notice this. This is the first time his Sight has been diverted. He has been dead set on rebellion and doing what he wants to do. And now God uses the storm to get a glance. I will look again to your holy temple. Here's what he says. In the midst of the storm, I started to question, am I going the right way? Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I just double, double looked, just making sure, glance to the holy temple. There's something about the storms of life that soften our hearts to remember the temple. To remember the place of worship. To remember what took place there. To remember that even though you were under his reign and rule, there was peace. 
comfort. He remembers that place, and it, it's for the first time that it starts. And this is where many of us think repentance lies. I, I want you to think we think this is repentance, that he looked again to the holy temple. But what we see here is that this is a softening because repentance is, 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 is a work of God's spirit that is progressive and ongoing. What we think is I repent and I never have to repent again. That could be a huge problem for you. Repentance is ongoing and progressive and it's a continuing work. And you're seeing God soften our hearts and working in us. And what you see is even after he glances to the holy temple, look at what he says. It gets worse. Have you ever, have you ever had that happen where you're in the midst of everything and you're like, you're getting softened up and then, and then God just kind of ramps it up and, and it just gets worse and worse and worse? And what do we see happening here? I'm engulfed by the waters. He used words like, I feel threatened. I feel surrounded. I feel suffocated like there's seaweed wrapped around my head. And all of creation is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Everything that was supposed to be working is like it's blocking me out. You see what... What this does is puts us in a place. So, so let me just kind of ask you, have you ever been in a place where you felt like uh, threatened? Have you ever felt like you're surrounded, like I got to find a place to go and you got no place to go? Have you ever been felt suffocated like you got seaweed wrapped around your face and you can't breathe? Have you tried everything you can to make creation, the idols that you have, the ground, your job, your wife, your kids, your husband, everything. You've tried everything that should be working and it feels like it's just blocked you out. This kind of prayer, this kind of song draws us in because if you're like me, I've been there. But something happens. It changes from his Lord and it changes to my God. And this word becomes good news. But my God. Listen to the, the, the change of tone in this song, in this prayer. Listen to the crescendo as he declares in prayer and in song. He declares, but you, Lord, my God. Have brought my life from the pit. Here's, here's what we have to see. A lot of times we think repentance starts here in verse 7. We think repentance is rooted in this. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you and my prayer rose from your holy temple. And so because I remembered and because I prayed, I repented. But you have to see how repentance is not rooted in my prayer and my repentance. Actually, it's rooted in seeing that my God has brought me from death to life. Repentance is not uh, calling on a God who is, has his back turned to you. Repentance is responding to a God who is pursuing you. Who loves you. Who has been chasing you. 
And all of a sudden, it's been their God, his God. It's been all this kind. But now it's turned into, he caught me, and he's my God. I am his, and he is mine. And the grace and mercy of God brings him from death to life. And now he's repenting. He's remembering. This is the response. This is the response of repentance. This is where we see him now responding. You see, we do respond to the pursuit of Christ. We do respond to him by remembering our Lord and praying and realizing that our prayers have been heard by a gracious and loving God. And then there's something else we see, that our idols are worthless, but our God is worthy. Can you say amen to that? Our idols are worthless, but our God is worthy. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. I want you to notice how he describes this. So often, I thought what God wanted me to do was to hate my idols. So I would try really hard to hate them. The best illustration that I, I have is like when I would date somebody and I thought, I'm marrying this one. This one's, this is the one. This is the one. I got, I got, this is it. And so we're going at it and then all of a sudden something happened, did something, broke up. I'm laying in my room in the dark, playing some R&B, crying. Why'd you do it to me? Why'd you do it? My favorite was, I swear. <laughs> Just tears rolling down my face. We're going to make it. And then I would try to pull myself up and go out with my boys. We'd sit around a table. We'd drink together. We'd just talk about how horrible women are. Dear God, I hate those women. And I like a lot of valid points were made. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so demons, they're demons, you know? <laughs> Listen, you all call us dogs. We call you demons. It's, you know, it's all good. It's because you possess us. That's what it is. You know what I mean? It's demons. And then I get, you know what? I don't need women. I don't need them. I don't need them at all. And we're just bro rally. You know what I'm saying? I got my boys. I don't need no girl. I don't need no woman. I mean, forget this. And we go back home. And I'm like amped up. And I go, yeah, I got you. I open the door, close it. I want to hate her, but I love her so bad. Ooh, I swear. Because here's, here's the thing, you, you, you have to learn that God has built into creation that hate never overcomes love. It's only a greater love that crushes the power of worthless loves. It wasn't until I met my wife and realized, oh my goodness, she really is the one. Those all other ones were worthless ones. You know what I mean? Like they were not the one. This is, this is, the, this is the one. And all of a sudden, I, I saw what love could be and commitment and the reality of it. I walked through it. And then you would go, hey, remember that girl? What, what girl? 
Is it? Oh, what was your name again? Why? Because what ends up happening is a greater love. And what we think often God wants for us is to hate sin, our loves. But he's saying, no, it's not about you hating sin. It's about loving me so much that it crushes all your other worthless loves. And what he shows us here is when we cling to worthless idols, we turn away from true love. What was his worthless idols? Comfort. You know what he wanted? He just wanted to be comfortable. He's like, I just want to stay here with my people. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I want to be comfortable. You know what else his idol was? Control. He just wanted to be in control. I'm going to do my own thing, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find comfort somewhere else. That's fine. You can't give it to me. I'm going to take control. And, and what God did is showed him that his worthless idol of comfort and control is being crushed by true love. And for the first time, what we're seeing is he's realizing that my God is true love, and true love has come and rescued me in the pit. And when that true love has rescued me in the pit, it makes all the other things that promise to protect me and keep me safe and all those other things that promise to lead me and guide me and promise me comfort and, and, and control, all of them are worthless. And then it does something else. It shows us that not only are idols worthless, but he's worthy. Can, you get, can I get it? Can I get an amen? He's worthy. He's worthy. Because worthlessness of seeing something as worthless only is seen when you see something truly worthy. And when you find what is truly worthy, here's the only response. Praise, sacrifice, commitment, and submission. Let's look real quick. Here you see a shout of praise. And I wish we could preach a whole sermon on praise because I, I believe, like we were talking about earlier, the reason why we don't praise is because we think our praise is rooted in do we believe he's worthy or our praise should be rooted in not in do we believe it do we feel it is it something that is is rooted in us no it's rooted in us seeing he is worthy of all of our praise and our shouts of praise i i i don't know about you but it, 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 it it's it's not attractive to be in a relationship with somebody who constantly says i guess i have to be in this and there are so many christians so many of y'all christians who walk around not praising God, but I guess I got to be in this. I guess I have to. I, I just wish that have to would turn into I get to. I get to, and you see his worthiness, and what it causes you to do is shout for praise. I, I, I'm praying. Wayne and I have been praying, God, would you bring shouts of praise, that the world would hear the shouts of praise coming from Redemption Alhambra, that shouts of praise would be echoing into the streets because our God is worthy. He's worthy. And I'm going to tell you something that takes place. When you're in that pit, there's something about being in the pit and declaring his worthiness. He's still in the belly. He's not on land yet. And he's shouting for praise. See, some of us feel like we can only praise when we have everything good. This is praise. Shouts from the belly. 
And what else? A sacrifice. You see, when you enter into relationship, you gladly lay every other worthless idol aside because you sacrifice it all to follow him. There's a vow. Sounds like a marriage, doesn't it? There's a vow. And there's a submission. You see, those are what happens when we see the worthiness of God. We shout for praise. We declare his glory. We lay all other worthless idols. We sacrifice them to you. And we vow that we will follow him. We commit ourselves to him. And then we surrender to this fact. Remember, uh, he didn't like that God was the one who saved people. And here's his submission statement. Salvation belongs to you, God, not to me. You save people. And the reason why he can say this now is because for the first time he's realizing that God saves sinners because he saved me, the worst sinner of them all. We often don't see that God saves sinners until we see that he has saved me. When you experience salvation, you can see that this God can save and heal and restore and deliver. That he came into the depths of death and destruction and rescued you. Which shows us that our desire for others not to experience the grace and love of God is we think we're better than them. The reason we're not living on mission and serving and forgiving and walking in the plan that God has for us is because we don't care about others who are lost and gone and far off. But when we experience this kind of salvation, it opens our eyes to the log in our own eye and the rescue that God went on to get us and that he has something for us in this world that he wants us to reflect Last week, Pastor Wayne ended with this. Stop running. Simple. Here's this week. Start praying. Start praying. There's a reason we're not praying. And it's not just we don't know how. I want to end with this today. Y'all got me fired up, but I went long, so it's your fault. I want, I want you to hear the prophetic word from the sailor. Did you know that the prophet needed a prophet? Jonah had the word of the Lord, wouldn't obey. So he used a cussing sailor who doesn't even know God to prophesy to him. I'll tell you, there's other places that God uses donkeys to prophesy to prophets. Have you ever been in a place where you're running from God and God uses some heathen to like prophesy to you? Like something like, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you followed Jesus. And you're like, shut up. Just take another hit and shut up, you know? This, this man looked and was in distress because Jonah was disobeying God. He was affecting everybody around him. Everybody was affected. 
when you disobey God, you're hurting a lot of people. They're in the midst of a storm, not because of themselves. They're cool. They're, they're, they're just trying to be. Jonah's disobeying God and everybody's drowning. So he comes down and goes, how can you sleep? Have you ever been so depressed that you just fall asleep hoping when you wake up it's gone? This is where he's at. He's like, I know this is me. So maybe I'll just go to sleep and wake up and this whole thing will be gone. Hey, do you remember when this Jesus went to his disciples and said, you can't even tear with me for an hour? Why are you sleeping? You should be praying. How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. And he wouldn't obey the prophetic voice of the sailor until chapter 2. He started praying because he was in distress. I don't know where you're at in life. I will say this. You could be in the belly of a whale and at the point of death. You should pray. But you also could be in a place of comfort thinking everything's good and you don't need to pray. You should pray. You also may be in the midst of a storm wondering what's going on and so you think I'll just sleep and it'll go. You should get up and pray. Prayer is how we interact with God. Prayer is how we cry out. And you're saying, well, I don't know what to say. Pray. Pray. Well, can somebody pray for me? Pray. You should pray. So today, we're going to follow this prophetic voice because I don't know where you're at, but I do know this. All of us are in different places, but all of us need to do the same thing. We need to pray. So instead of opening the altars for you to come and pray, if you want to use any part of this room and find a place, you can go and pray. If you want to make your seat an altar, you can stay there and pray. But the band is going to play. The, the lights are going to go down. You can come and grab communion. I, all we'd ask is something different today. Grab communion and don't do it with somebody else. You need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray. And then as you pray, let God interact. Because some of you are like, no, I don't want to pray. You don't have to heed the prophetic voice, but I, I, I'm going to tell you this. Stop sleeping. Start praying. And then Kyle's going to begin to lead us in a song of praise. And then here's the next step. Pray, and let that prayer lead you into a position of praise. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what position you're in, but he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise. So we're going to end with praise. The tables are open. This whole room is an altar of prayer. The call is pray. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.